Sisters from our misters to our sisters, we back for another show just in case you missed it. Good edition, so powered by you know media. Walk one farm, get a fire, no stay blessed, no stress. We've got you covered like a sundress. Welcome to officially the number one show. If you call down under your home, this is new media, the people's media. Say no mouth, take your shoes off at the door. Everything you want, nothing you don't. Real people, real talk. That's it. And if we ain't number one of the charts, hopefully we're number one in your heart. Let's get it, get it. <laughs> That's the energy. Ah, we just did that whole thing and much of Mike forgot to record. <laughs> so we've just done it exactly how we did it when we didn't record. And Bring I'm very energy, proud of ba. us. Bring the energy. Ooh. Heavy, my ba. Check the label. <laughs> hey, what's on the show today? Uh, I hope you enjoy this chat, man. Chloe Swarbrick, member of the Green Party. Uh, we caught up with her a few weeks ago. Highly intelligent. Love the way that she talks. Very passionate about her job. But she came in uh, and really hope you enjoy the chat with, with Chloe Swarbrick. This is all part of our political... We're, like, we're, st- we're dipping our toes into a world that's not really us. We and don't know. We, we <laughs> don't, we've got no idea. Sometimes no after idea. the meeting, we're like, well, what do we just do there? It's our best effort just to, you know... Well, it's going to be an important part of our lives in the next uh, upcoming month at least. Thanks. So doing our thing. Doing our thing. All right, we always start the show, though, with an absolute... Boom! With that tang over there. Uh, we're going to walk around here like there's sunshine now. It's very, very close. This is, I just, I'm just looking for little avenues just to get into finding an excuse to play out a song. And I know that summer isn't very far away. So the vibe today is... Drums! Let's push! Katrina and the waves! Sometimes you just got to be honest. <laughs> I rushed in today. No, bro. Leave that energy out there. No, man. Hey, you got to be honest with people. I rushed in here, man. It's the first thing I saw. Bang. We bought the energy. It's cool with it. Can I say, let's build off this energy. What is the most important thing or the thing you're looking forward to the most about the upcoming summer? Let's live in this moment. Oh. Well, can you not even think about the weight? Losing the weight. <laughs> Are we too lost in our everyday lives? Straight up summer love. I can't wait all to see over the again. sun, man. Just the sun. Feel the sun on my skin. That vitamin D. Oh, that first sunburn. Less. Bro, you right. want to like the sun? Sun rays hitting you front or 
Sunrise so, having you back. Can I get both? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that first dive in a pool. Oh, you know where you're hot. Yeah, you've got Matsu Mas- Mas- got a pool at his house. It's He's a so temporary rich. pool. It's He's tem- so rich. You're I am so rich, but it's a temporary. <laughs> it's a temporary pool that I have to take down every winter. That's such a good question. Council, looking- bloody, they have to take it down. Yeah, the council have got drones that fly over the properties and tell you that you've got an unregistered pool in your property. Oh, because it's money. That's and they could money. be making more money, so I've I'm, got to yank it down each oh, time. I'm looking forward for summer beers, eh? To them. Beers. Summer beers. Beersies. Just a beer. Afternoon beers. Afternoon. Start early, finish early. The next your, morning. Only just, one beer. Just a heads up, your two don't match. What do you mean? As in, like, the beers mix them with the losing the weight. You can't have one without the other. Well, no, you, you can. can. You've got to work harder. You've got to work can. harder, man. You, you just won't lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Ah, let's get into daily bread, eh? Daily Bread, breaking bread with the news of today. Still looking for a bread sponsor. Here we are, and it's Tuesday, the September the 5th, and that means it's 248 days deep into the year. Only 117 left to get her done. Get Get her done. It is Cheese Pizza Day. Oh, yeah. A salute to the good old-fashioned plain cheese pizza. Nothing wrong with it. it. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. Garlic cheese pizza? Nah. No. Nah. Sort of a hybrid that we're pure over here. Just tomato paste, cheese. That's it. Don't. don't what he had on Home and Alone. No room. McCorney Culkin had it. I'm staying with it. No room for a little basil leaf in there. Oh, now you're basil leaf. Now you play. Now you're not going game. Cheese with a bit of basil leaf. Come on, Mark. That's very different. Make up your mind, man. Make up your mind. It's also International Day of Charity, where we, I guess, remember and and I've made aware of all the different international charities that are out there at the moment, especially when they actually don't put a lot of the profits towards the charitable work and they put it on admin fees and then... Um, what are you doing here, John? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what, what this, here, this day is about, but we... <laughs> yes, oh, not, so not like the... It's, it's more about just recognising the fact. Okay, my bad. Um, talking about good ones. <laughs> let's quickly move on. Shout it's, out to the good ones. <laughs> yeah, that's all got you. It's also uh, World Samosa Day. Oh, don't tempt me with a samosa. Do you not know what a samosa is? You know the little puff thing mm. that you eat? Typically Indian cuisine. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Oh, so good. Usually no, come that's a mimosa. Kidding. That's a, that's a wine. I was thinking mimosa. an orange juice. Yeah. Which you can now get in a can, apparently. What? No, don't do that. I'm serious. Yeah, I know, but don't do that. <laughs> oh, but no, got you a paid advertiser on <laughs> You're not getting a world uh, <laughs> samosa day, uh, samosa in a can. <laughs> no, you're not. Definitely not. Uh, my daily bread is uh, very entertaining to me because I would like a bit of this energy. But in Switzerland, they... It's legal to not renew someone's. Sorry, it's if you'd like citizenship, they uh, can legally turn you away if you're too annoying. <laughs> Oi, they're dope over there, man. They got it. They There's got how case, life should work. Lady called Nancy trying to get uh, Switzerland citizenship. She sounds annoying, man. Uh, <laughs> no, no. They were like, uh, "Could you write your name, Nancy?" Yeah, <laughs> you annoying. I've known some Nancys. But yeah, if you've just got annoying energy, you can also lose citizenship. If you're annoying, I feel like this is a great idea. I know it's like, good. How good is that? Just feel like we get rid of. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, hey, there's a couple shifters on their Facebook group page <laughs> that uh, I might revoke your your, your membership. You don't need to be commenting on every post, all right? And replying to everyone, <laughs> going at people for no reason. We love, hey, shifters. We love you. We love that group, but too much of anything. <laughs> I read. I actually read a comment someone saying to someone another shifter like. 
you're too much, too much of anything. I was like, I love this. It's like a whanau having a little argument, but it's actually all good. It's like Switzerland, Switzerland. But Switzerland. yeah, imagine, imagine losing New Zealand citizenship because you're too annoying. What'd you lose? Ah, now you just go to Aussie, you'll fit right in. Uh, mine today, Mark. You, oh, you ain't gonna like this one. Well, I don't think you're gonna like this one. France has a surplus of wine. So what they're doing at the moment is they're paying their farmers, and it's going to be around about two hundred and fifteen million dollars to destroy it. Ah, no, man, that's a lot of money to get rid of wine. It is all circular, though. Like there are certain areas that build up way too many vineyards, and then they create too much grapes, and then they too much wine on the backs of that, and then all of a sudden you've got a surplus. But it's a strange that it'd be France that's made too much. Le Francais, yeah, and the government's going to give out $215 million in funds to help winemakers. They're also, so it's not just they're going to destroy it, I should read the rest of it, they're going to turn it into other things like hand sanitizers. But you had a beautiful drop, it's the alcohol there that they're wasting, yeah. Yeah, they put into like a hand sanitizer. You have a beautiful drop of red, now that's going into a hand sanitizer, it ah, doesn't hit me the same. No. That's a shame. I feel kind of empty after that, like I need to have a shower. Good for us though, it means that our wine's still, obviously, you know, we've been still being brought we're not destroying any wine anytime soon love me a good read love me a good read alright that's daily bread <laughs> daily bread breaking, breaking bread with the news of today still looking for a bread sponsor sorry I didn't know how to add, add to that yeah, I, was I, was listening. Listening. <laughs> I was just actually listening this is the morning shift Kia ora Tiwi. Um, before we get into these political interviews, I'd like to remind Fano or anyone who's new to the morning shift that we've built this space as a means to entertain, educate and hopefully uplift. And we are stepping well and truly out of our comfort zones talking politics. But we understand the importance of us all to understand this a little better. And it's a big area of our lives. Now, our goal is to openly speak without an agenda to give ourselves and yourselves listening the chance to see the person behind the party and what the party stands for. Hopefully we've done that. And ultimately, it's up to you to decide who you vote for. And we encourage that open discussion. We hope we help opening up our politicians in the best way we know how. These interviews are not focused on headlines or policy. These interviews have been done Try and find out a little more about the people and the parties in which they stand for. As you can imagine, getting into all these political party leaders on the podcast takes quite a lot of organising. So we appreciate the time over the last month that we had to record them and their time that they spent with us. Yummy. This is The Morning Shift. All right, we welcome in a very special guest today, and I was just saying off here before that I feel like a, a sense of ease knowing that it is you with the, the year that you're having at the moment with everything that is about to take place and the fact that you're not even 30 and you're like a young vet in this game, but Chloe Swarbrick young vet. is young our vet. guest this one. That's a nice one. That's a vet. really nice thing to say. Have you been called that before? I was called um, uh, by an RNZ host the other day, uh, an experienced politician, and I was like, true, that's really nice. I have been in this game for seven years. Wow. I just turned 29. In uh, June, so yeah, it is young vet. I feel like young That's mean. I'm going to put that as my sag like subtitle on my, on the hoardings. So you see my years. big face, and then young vet. Seven years. That's well, seven years doing politics. Uh, six years as an MP, because obviously in 2016, well, not necessarily. Obviously, I don't expect you to know <laughs> the backstory. No, no, no. Tell us. Tell us. Uh, 2016, I ran for local body election because uh, you know I'd spent all this time interviewing politicians and being pretty pissed off about how uh, there was this disconnect between what the community leaders and the researchers and all the people who dedicated their lives to solving these problems were saying, mm. and the stuff that the politicians were saying. So, um, was complaining to my producer at BFM, Lillian, about it, and she was like, "Chloe, shut up." 
do something about it. So I went home and I googled how to become the mayor of Auckland, <laughs> and then ran a campaign. Uh, yeah, and that was how all this stuff just kind of happened. That's true. We're, we're just talking. You are filming a doco at the moment. Been mm. filming for the last three years, and I am the subject of this doco. It's real funny. Yeah, whenever this camera rocks up, I'm like, it's not actually me. I didn't. <laughs> you yeah, know, uh, and I feel really sorry for um, Charlotte and Letitia who've been doing it because uh, I was like, yeah, sure, okay, fine. And then they're like, hey, can we film this? And I'm like, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> can you guys do all the admin for this thing? So, Have you taken yeah. a moment, Chloe, to understand why you in particular are the subject of the documentary? Yeah, um, I mean, it is pretty weird, eh? Oh, it's amazing. I I, for me, looking from the outside, I would say I wouldn't be more interested in anyone more in politics than you because <laughs> you are relatable it's, and you do deserve this kind of stuff. So It's very kind, but I'd also say a lot of politicians are quite weird, so I reckon there should be documentaries <laughs> on more That's of That's what us. I'm thinking. <laughs> they There's seem a bit lift weird. Lift the lid and, like, it's a no more of our politicians would be my general MO. <laughs> I want to know how many politicians got bullied in school and just, like... Probably too many of them, <laughs> and you can see it. It shows. 100%. Hey, um, I just want to – I thought this is a little bit different to kind of – I don't want to say traditional media, but here what we like to do is just kind of have a yarn and get to we're – more, we're more inclined to want to know who you are. I just want to say like right now in terms of how you're feeling about the world, how you're mm. feeling about politics, consider um, this election, what, what's, your, what's your feelings on that? Yeah, real good question. Because I got to say, honestly, because mm. uh, I feel it, overwhelmed. Yeah, it is. It is overwhelming, and it kind of changes day to day. Eh? Mm. <laughs> like, I, I kind of think about it in a lot of different ways and from a lot of different perspectives. There's the kind of first perspective, which is just a genuine human being, mm. um, and I think about the state of things with regard to kind of cost of living and inflation, um, with regard to the climate crisis, and particularly here in Tamaki Makoto with our experience of the flooding and then Cyclone Gabriel at the start of the year, uh, and obviously some of the kind of egregious forms of violence that have been in the headlines of late, uh, the inequality that I experience on a day-to-day basis, but then just how all of that stuff kind of permeates through our communities and creates all the more stress and how it can kind of compound. I don't actually know all too many people right now in my personal uh, and in my political life who aren't feeling an immense amount of stress and strain. And I just, I guess this is where I kind of connect the dots, right? And how I kind of got into politics with a big P. Because, you know, from all of the stuff that we know about mental health and the government commissioned this big fancy report uh, that they tabled in parliament last term, it's called Hiara Oranga, the Mental Health and Addiction Inquiry. Basically, what it said in a nutshell, is all of us have genetics, which we've inherited from our parents and our grandparents, and there's actually increasing amounts of evidence and research about how trauma impacts kind of genetics. But in a nutshell, those genetics can predispose us, so basically make us more or less likely towards the potential manifestation of mental ill health or not. But the thing that turns the dial up or down a notch is basically circumstantial Mm. or environmental factors. So they are things like stability in our lives, access to the resources to be able to pay for the groceries and the power bills and our rent. Uh, ability to feel connected to a community and grounded in that, the ability to plan for the future because you have that stability and that safety Mm. in your life. And I think far too many people are dealing without that stability and I'm definitely seeing that kind of stress and strain permeate. So to connect those dots, it's about realising that these are not individual issues, these are systemic issues, these are issues that all of us are presently facing and if we see those connections and we work together, then we can actually change that system which produces so many of these systems systematic defaults which cause that stress and strain on all of us 
But I think, you know, to that point around the kind of broader political space, I think at present there's a lot of a lot of actors who are trying to <laughs> uh, basically exploit and take advantage of just how unstable everything feels and to have people feel as though they're in conflict with their fellow human beings oh, and in competition and all of that stuff, again, just continues to perpetuate this alienation that all of us feel and this disconnect from each other. And I'm just, it's dumb. I'm yeah. over it. I'm so yeah. over it. I feel like a broken record. I've been yeah. saying the same stuff for, yeah. you know, six or seven years now. So, I will yeah, s- I feel hopeful in that. I feel cynical, but I also feel mm. hopeful. If you still feel hopeful, that's a great place to be. Because you <laughs> see, I feel like it's a, a, and with all respect, but it's a, it's a place of snakes. Mm. And everyone's just trying to work out mm. what's what. But how, how do you disconnect the two from being... Uh, I would take it personally myself because you can see when people are lying and then obviously what you have to do as well. Yeah, I'd say, um, so I was talking to a mate of mine, Timahara, who works for um, actually Te Pāti Māori, uh, and she was saying the other day when I was just like, oh, bro, it's a lot. I don't know. <laughs> a politician like, saying, oh, bro, <laughs> that's relatable to me. <laughs> um, but she was like, you know, um, I see you green guys and obviously Devon Rauri, um, you know, you walk into the chamber with the kaupapa on your shoulders and, you know, it really is disheartening that so many of the other ones um, gun in there with basically this being a game on, mm-hmm. on their minds. And that's the thing that's always kind of blown my mind about particularly the Chamber of Parliament is that it is kind of just all theatre, but mm. it sucks that that's the stuff that the general public tend to see because it's where politicians are behaving like school children, which in turn kind of helps to uh, disengage people because you look at that kind of behaviour and you're like, that's not 100%. what I want. And when you disengage from politics, guess what? Power continues to concentrate in the hands that have always 100%. and already had it, and that's kind of what they want when they're gatekeeping the regular people from engaging in our parliamentary system. You know, politics belongs to the people who turn up, and I think that's kind of one of the key messages of any every single election is you know the people who are benefiting from the status quo who are profiting handsomely from the way that things are are the ones who are going to continue to participate in our political system so those of us who are not have to turn up and have mm. to turn up in numbers and there's actually more regular people than there are who are benefiting and profiting from the way that things are. Wow. Exactly well a way to keep us engaged is actually to and why we're doing this is to um, actually learn about like who who you are with these political parties we're talking to. So I'm just going to go through some questions quickly, and this is more related to kind of who you are. First question, can you share a personal story or experience that shaped your personal values or, and political beliefs? Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of these stories I feel like always relate back to my old man. Um, my dad was a, was a huge uh, influence in my life growing up. Um, so uh, one of one of many. Uh, <laughs> the first time that I was uh, giving a speech, <laughs> so I would have been at primary school. I think I was like six or seven years old or whatever. And uh, because you can probably extrapolate from who I am now, massive weirdo nerd <laughs> at, at school, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> the nerds kiddo. are up though yeah. these days. <laughs> it's, our time, it's our time, bro. It's our year. For real. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, spend my time in the library reading the dictionary, uh, just trying to understand the world. Uh, but I, yeah, wrote this speech and because of uh, being a precocious and annoying little weirdo kid uh, it was on the double standards between kids and adults because I was like I have a bedtime why doesn't dad have a bedtime why am I told to what I'm gonna eat and dad doesn't have to you know uh, why am I being dictated to so I wrote the speech and you know it was uh, real hardcore because it was like two minutes of speech just like two three pages when you're a kid uh, and I went in you know shaking and read it to my dad because the first time I'd ever done this thing and he was like whoa like have you you know thought about this other perspective and I was like oh no my dad hates the speech like my hero is like you know shooting it down and he was like no 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 like 
this is not about like having a go at you. This is how you take critique, I guess, constructively and how you come to understand that when you're trying to progress an argument, and obviously I'm paraphrasing the whole thing. I was seven, it was a few years ago. <laughs> but when you are trying to kind of put forward an argument that you're putting out there into the world, the most important thing that you can possibly do is understand other people's perspectives. And the way that my old man put it is different people see different things differently. And I then, you know, later went to uni, studied a BA in philosophy and let my dad wasn't Socrates and didn't come up with the idea <laughs> of subjectivity. <laughs> uh, but I think that's something which I've like has kind of underpinned who I am and how I approach the world for my entire life. It's the idea that no one person holds all of the answers and that if you are ever going to achieve anything meaningful, you need to understand that you have to work with other people. That does not mean giving up your values, mm -hmm. but it does mean that understanding other people's perspectives can help you to build that solidarity necessary to create a community to then have the critical mass to achieve that kind of change. Love that. Great, great answer. Uh, next one, quick one. Uh, Favourite song of all time? Uh, honestly, I'd say just because it has such an anchor to so many important, um, just, it, it was the song actually that I played a lot during the 2016 Local Body. I think it came out then, or maybe it was 2017. It's probably Frank Ocean's Nights. Like, Come it's on. just, it's such an, it's such an it's anchor. It's It's on. such an anchor. And Blonde? you know that, that, that switch? Yeah, blot. Oh, bro. <laughs> and like Nikes, like when they're, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow, I like yeah, that. And the, and the music video, and yeah, anyway, with the letter, the whole kind of thing, do you remember? Very good. Come on, Frank. A few more just before I hand it up to book. A perfect night out would look like what? Uh, there's a few different, me and my, my wife, uh, we yes. go through processes of planning what our perfect kind of dates and stuff look like. I love Ponsonby Pool Hall. It's one of my favourite places oh, in the world. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Dungeon I love, yeah, oh, bro, I'm, oh. not, I'm not good. <laughs> but I love that spot. Uh, I also love Four Shells Cover Bar um, down Vic Park. Shout out to um, Todd. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, probably just like, yeah, good food and good people, to be honest. Um, yeah, the, the kind of spaces that I feel very privileged to have these days are the spaces with my friends at people's houses and stuff so and food and talk yeah 100 percent. last one what's the most challenging aspect of being a politician and how do you cope with the pressure um i think like it just oh, the first thing that comes to mind is the disconnect between who you are as an individual and then how that you become kind of a concept i guess in some people's minds right because you know m my what I'd love to do is have one-on-one -on -one individual conversations yeah. and relationships with yeah. everyone, but that's impossible. You know, we've got to reach 5 million people in this country. So then, you know, you use the platform of media to try and obviously get these kind of points across, but then understandably, because, you know, there's only sound uh, time Clips. for a soundbite or whatever, yeah. everything gets whittled down. And then, you know, you end up becoming a mediation of yourself. Like that's what media inherently is. It's mm -hmm. a mediation of reality. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily get much choice over that or choice around how people are going to perceive or interact with that. So, that concept then becomes something that people project onto, whether that's love or loathing or just, I don't know, uh, disinterest. <laughs> um, so, yeah, probably the most, like, weird thing is just not having a lot of control over how kind of people first come to interact with you or understand who you are and that kind of parasocial relationship in a lot of different ways. And, yeah, how that really plays out is funny to me where sometimes people think that, I'm going to hate them or they're going to hate me. And then they meet me and I'm like, you're not what's that up? bad. Like, what's what's yeah. going on? Like, why are you I, with the greens? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to understand why people think the way that they do. Because again, like I just, and like actually a lot of research shows this. A lot of us uh, don't actually know necessarily why we hold the political views that we do. And when we have to articulate them with our friends and our whanau, then you go through a process of kind of, making concrete all these vibes and then you start to understand potentially where some of the holes are and the rationale that you hold and then you can start 
you know, shifting into a space of being more constructive and less dogmatic. So, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that concept thing, but I think the antidote to all of it and the antidote to how polarised our politics is becoming is just encouraging more discourse and discussion about this stuff. Young vet. I told you, <laughs> young vet, at the start. Wordsmith. Told Absolute you. <laughs> hey, we have to get into the political part as well. Martin and Mark, I'm going to throw it over to you. All right. Uh, thank You're you doing again, great, Chloe. Chloe. Oh, obviously, obviously, you. though. Obviously. <laughs> so, Chloe, I'm interested to hear what uh, is an issue that we could fix in this country tomorrow. Uh, we could end poverty overnight if we wanted to. By really? Can you break yeah, that down? Okay, yeah. So we can we can fix our tax system. So uh, the government, Labour, uh, commissioned research through um, formerly Minister David Parker's office at the beginning of this year uh, was released through IRD and Treasury did a supplementary report. Basically what that showed at a real high level is that the top 311 families in this country hold $85 billion combined. That's approximately 2.4% of all of the wealth in this country. That is more wealth than the bottom two and a half million New Zealanders combined hold, which is approximately 2% of all of the wealth in this country. Worse than that, and also how that comes about, is that those 311 families pay an effective tax rate less than half of that of the average New Zealander. That is because they earn their money primarily by speculating on wealth. So wealth kind of compounds, right? Whereas those of us who earn an income by actually going out and working and getting that income pay our PAYE, for example. So that means that we're also ending up with an economy that is far less productive than it actually could be, especially because of how our economic incentives and tax system is set up to privilege mm. uh, property hoarding in particular. Yeah. Uh, and again, could go into many of the stats. I think that's that actually the better point, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, that is the key point. We always hear that argument, but it's never going to be fixed. The, the rich are never going to. But when you but talk th- about product, productiveness. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. You, you go, no, yeah. no, no. But I was just I was going to add to that point, right? Like, you know. It, it is really interesting to me when you think about the history and the economic history of this country and actually of most of kind of the ostensible Western world, where uh, here in 1938 we had the Social Security Act, which was born out of um, actually mass mobilisation, um, unions and otherwise kind of collective action. Prior to that Social Security Act, we did not have the concept of weekends. We did not have the concept of public holidays. We did not have the concept of universal health care or education. And through that act of parliament that established all of those things as a foundation that we take for granted to this day. So in the 30s and 40s, in the midst of the Great Depression, there was a choice made, and actually in the um, kind of coming off the back of world wars, where the government of the day said, hey, look, there's a lot of people struggling at the moment, and we are going to create all of these universal services and also start the state housing build and everything else, and we're going to pay for it with higher taxes on those who profited handsomely during a time of struggle for many. That resulted in a period, decades, of what had become and is known kind of, again, if you were to reflect on our history, uh, a time of relative equity in this country. And, mm. you know, we could get into uh, how colonisation happened, but <laughs> we'll put that aside for the time being. But then in the 80s and 90s, um, that social contract was shredded through a process of uh, effectively privatisation when trickle-down economics became the norm. And we then ended up with the mass sell-off of, for example, our state houses and a range of kind of uh, policy changes which led us to the inequities that we have today. So the key takeaway is that the economy that we have at present, the highest rates of wealth inequality that we have ever had in this country on record are not inevitable. They are the consequences of political decisions and different decisions can be made. They've been made in the past. So we'd pay for, rather we'd, generate the revenue from that tax uh, changes uh, and we would go about paying for the likes of a guaranteed minimum income but as also announced this past weekend we would provide free dental for all. Wow. 
I, I got a toothache right now. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I work on a podcast, so I can't get it out yet. Right? <laughs> All that's right. good. That's good. What about um, how would you make politics more engaging for the young and for the non-interested? Yeah, it's a real good question. Um, I think politics has to be relevant to people, and this kind of gets back to the point that I was alluding to before about how uh, there is a lot, the, the kind of incentive structure that is born out of the way that our parliament and our politics is designed and has been done for decades and decades and decades is such that regular people are gatekept from participation in it. And this is like one of the big kind of wall <laughs> moments that I had when I went to, to law school. And I'm the first person in my family to go to uni and it was a pretty weird, super privileged space. And I've reflected in the past on how it's cooked that I had to get into that privileged space to learn properly about Te Tiriti or Waitangi. So I've been really proud to have been involved in some processes around instituting, for example, New Zealand history in schools. Uh, but that, that wall moment was going... Oh, so like all this stuff doesn't actually have to be as complicated as it is, but it's entrenched in all this jargon and all these really fancy and complex words, basically to uphold the system, which is totally man-made and could be different if we decided that we wanted it to be. You know, we talk about things like the economy or our criminal justice system or our education system as though they're set in stone, but they're not. They are kind of creations of human beings who've been in charge of public policy settings and they've changed in the past and they can kind of change again. So I think mm. it's about making that politics relevant to people, having them understand their power as well, but recognising that there's a difference between transparency because our um, country actually tends to rank highest in the world for transparency of the way that politics is done. But there's a difference between transparency, i.e. being able to go on Parliament's website and seeing what's happening, versus accessibility. Because mm. you can go on the website and you see there's a select committee and you know here's the draft form of the bill uh, and here's what the Hansard says. But if you don't have any idea what the hell those things actually mean, then it's it, not accessible. Yeah, understanding it's a whole different thing. Now I'll ask one more question and then we'll throw to the um, the questions that the people have, uh, have, have given us. But if you could explain to us what the Green Party stands for today, um, but can you do it as if you were that you were talking to the seven-year-old child that mm. was reading that same speech back then? I'd say that the Green Party stand for people and the planet. Um, that is, we want to ensure that everybody has access to the basics that they need to not only survive but to thrive and to be able to participate in their community and to be able to live the best versions of their lives and to be their best selves. Uh, and that includes at a local level but also however they may want to contribute and grow internationally or otherwise. Uh, and then for our planet because actually if we're not looking after our ecosystem, I think – Frequently we tend to talk about how we have to, we as human beings have to save the planet for the planet's own sake. The reality is, again, if you look at the timeline of history in terms of how our planet has kind of evolved and everything else, uh, the planet actually, regardless of all of the damage that we've done to it, will be fine in a millennia's time if we as human beings continue to accelerate anthropogenic climate change to the level that it is. We'll just wipe ourselves out and all of the other animals that we want to take down with us, but then the planet will regenerate. So we need to understand that kind of the planetary crises that we are causing through human-induced climate change is actually not just this threat to the, the planet as we know it, but to ourselves, and it's therefore an existential threat. So... You know, it's also about realizing that the only way that you can ever meaningfully get people to care about the planet is to ensure that you're looking after the basics for them. And that's kind of the interconnection of it all, right? And that's why we talk about people and the planet. One thing I love about you is it feels like I understand what you're talking about when it comes to politics as well, but 
it's, you're not afraid to pull the curtain back. Yeah. It, what's one thing that you would love just your everyday Kiwis to know about what's actually going on in the house? It's all made up. <laughs> it's, like, it's, I need to yeah. hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for real, like, I think um, the thing which I would really, really love for more people to understand is how, you know, and I think people kind of get it, like, on an intuitive level. They know that, like, a lot oh, of politics like looks house, nonsense. Huh? Yeah, they know, they know that stuff's silly. Um, but all of it is, yeah, just people you know it's funny right like I think about how when I was a kid and I looked at adults I'd be like cool when I grow up I'm gonna have a clue I'm gonna know the meaning of life and then I'm gonna figure out who I am and what my place is in the world and then you grow up and you realize your parents didn't know what they were doing when they raised you (laughs) and there's no shade you know like that's just actually all human beings are kind of doing is the best that we can with the resources available to us and the life experiences that we have and therefore potentially the limitations to those life experiences and I kind of take the same approach in parliament the thing that guts me um, amongst many things the most uh, is that the way that our kind of our parliament is known as the most whipped parliament in the western world so you don't frequently end up and this is particularly an issue for the two kind of legacy older parties of uh, labor and national there's not that much interest in engaging across party lines and actually trying to find solutions they're very much in this still like first past the post old school mentality we're like they're in charge and that's also what i hate about how we tend to present our elections we don't we have very presidential style elections in terms of house presented in the media like who's going to be our prime minister you don't actually vote for prime minister you vote for political parties which then come together to form a government and that government and that cabinet and those political parties decide who's going to be pm and who's going to be deputy pm and then all of the ministers cabinet ministers and otherwise so yeah i just wish more people realized their power and the power of their vote and how they can shape the landscape of politics and looked outside of kind of pepsi and coke of labor and national It's so good. Hey, we know you didn't have much time, so we're just going to get through these uh, last relatable questions. So these were um, submitted by uh, shifters, who we call, this is the morning shift, we call them shifters, uh, where they ask these questions to figure out how relatable you are. And I've just gone and (laughs) said... I'm an alien, guys. I've gone and called this segment relatable or rehatable. So (laughs) let's figure it out. Um, Do you put your bread in the fridge or cupboard? I put it in the cupboard. No, no. The freezer's just so it doesn't go off. You know, Eugenie Sage would be uh, at me <laughs> if there was food waste in this house. Exactly. <laughs> I love that it was the most timid your voice has been the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where do you buy your linen from and what fabric, fabric are they made of? <laughs> Uh, we're asking all the politicians, yeah, 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 yeah. by the way. Um, I don't think I've bought uh, new linen in ages. Uh, so the last last time I bought linen would have been from a place called Household Linens on Ponsonville Road. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so look, <laughs> we, okay. we, buy, hey. we buy quality, we buy local if we can. Um, Cost per wear? Yeah, and there was, uh, I think it was cotton. Yeah. Mm. No, that's great. I think, yeah, that, that's awesome. What rules do you play uh, for Last Card? Uh, what rules do you play, play oh, by? What's true. a couple? Um, wait, is that last card's not the one? I'm thinking of scum. Scum's What's great. Scum's yeah. great. Uh, like, so, okay, I'll What's, ask you this. Tell me, tell me is it five we'll... pick up five for you or two pick up five? Oh, bro, I don't know. That's all right. Oh, that's good. If you want to play poker with me, though. All right. Uh, if you take food to someone's house uh, to share, do you leave the leftovers or take them home? Oh, you got to leave the leftovers. That was the right that's, answer. Yeah, there's, there's, there's one answer honestly, you got that right. that's a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, Did you that. get any, any politicians <laughs> like taking their leftovers? Do you do the dishes? Yes, I do. Great. Can yeah, you I also man- take down the rubbish in my household. <laughs> Love that. Can you drive manual? 
I, I haven't for a very long time, but I learned to drive in a manual. Same, same. Mm. Don't worry about that. Mm. There's about five more. How much should a pie cost everyday Kiwis? <laughs> should a pie cost everyday Kiwis? That's a good question. Um, look, I think it should be affordable and accessible for all New Zealanders. <laughs> I, uh, on my and, and actually in my local. Uh, so I actually bought a pie when I was going to TVNZ breakfast this morning. As Your well. local it's, be by dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. I get a vegetarian breakfast pie, which is uh, baked beans. This is as some people it's cooked, but to others this is delicious. It's got baked beans in it it's got a hash brown it's got cheese nah, and nice. it's got egg in it uh, um, and that's me. like six seven bucks so that's a bougie pie but yeah i think an affordable pie is probably like three four bucks i feel like it's a bargain you pull four of those things hey, you, pull, you, yeah. pull that back, you put that back very nice what mayonnaise brand do you put in your trolley uh the best foods it's just the OG one, right you know. Let's go on Warriors or up the Waz? Up the Waz. Right. Yeah. I've, I've got a season pass this time around. I've been sat right at the front <laughs> and absolutely saturated pretty much every game except for the last one at Mount Smart. Love that. Real one. Uh, in high school, what would your lunch typically consist of? I was a nightmare. Eh? I was real bad at bringing my lunch, I remember, into. I, it probably just would have been... Uh, like <laughs> some fruit or something, and then some chips. Yeah, yeah. stock standard, great. Yeah. That dictionary can't get the hunger <laughs> in the way. Eh? Two more questions. How much is minimum wage? Uh, Twenty-two seventy. It is. Yeah. Well, and last one. What's the most you'd pay for an avocado? Ah. Uh, Ooh, one avocado? Why don't we just build houses out of avocados? Eh? <laughs> the most I'd pay for one, uh, I think the most that I recall paying for one, but still feeling as though it was extortionate, was like five, six bucks. Yeah, that still is. still pretty crazy. They are good, though, avocados. They are good. Well, I think you are pretty relatable. Thank you for playing. <laughs> yeah, thank you so we much for that. coming in. Uh, before you leave, is there anything that you would like to say or just love everyone else to know? Hell of a year. Yeah, it is a big year. I think um, my key kind of message to the peoples (laughs) uh, would just be, you know, there's going to be a lot of politicians this year who are asking people to be afraid of their fellow New Zealanders and to kind of think about the political landscape as though it's this kind of scramble where we're all fighting for these finite resources. And I guess I just ask people to look a little bit Uh, above that nonsense and that noise and that anxiety-inducing kind of rhetoric and to think about how interconnected all of us are and how our success as individuals relies on the success of all of us as a collective. And I think about this in the context of education, for example, tertiary education is one of my policy portfolio areas. And I think about how since the 80s and 90s when you know there was a move towards effectively user pays type uh, education system where it became all the more expensive and people were no longer paid to go to uni and you know student loans were introduced and stuff, the notion was that uh, you know those who got this tertiary education were doing it solely for their own individual benefit but you know what like whenever you walk across a bridge or walk into a building and it doesn't collapse you are benefiting from somebody Mm -hmm. else's education uh when my appendix nearly burst and i didn't die i benefited from somebody else's education the fact that we can currently all speak in a language that all of us understand when we have our phones and we can read text all of that stuff means that we're benefiting from somebody else's education so yeah my key kind of plea would just be understand that somebody else succeeding is of benefit to kind of all of us but that there are geniuses that exist in our communities that are currently deeply underserved who do not have the same resources that everybody else does and that is why it's so critically important to ensure that all of us have access to those basics and it's entirely feasible it's just a matter of political decisions so yeah also people remember their power politics belongs to the people who turn up right and mm. my my Hosking's voting so i think everyone else should too <laughs> <laughs> thank you very Chloe much Swarbrick, thank you so much i know you got a big big year but young vet 
We appreciate you coming <laughs> on the, the show. <laughs> Young Fit. Chill. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, kia ora. My name is Chloe Swarbrick, Green MP for Auckland Central. And I'm telling you, go do the dishes. Yay! <laughs> this is The Shift. The Shift. Go home, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go home. The Morning Shift. I'm going to make an offer again with you. The Shift. I love you. Oh, oh. This is the shift. Got it. Okay. I'm like the burger.